Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Talk a little preseason workload questions. I'm Ian Hardich. Joining me as always, the one, the only, Dwayne, the Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon. The real week one of preseason football is going to be here on Thursday. I'm excited, man. Let's freaking go. Football's back. Great day to be great. Yeah, man. It's like we talk about, uh, you know, all the different like little nuggets that we're following along the way, right? All the data points. And so we've, we've uh, gone through mini camps. We've gone through OTAs. We're now, you know, well into training camps. Now we're going to start to get to see the preseason games and uh, you know, every team handles them differently, right? Some, some teams play zero starters in the first game. Some teams play as starters for a quarter in that game. Some teams mix starters and backups, you know, for series in those games. So we'll be deciphering through all those things myself, you plus Nathan Yankee. Uh, Nathan always does a really good job, you know, with that kind of stuff as well. So yeah, looking forward to just getting this next piece of data and, you know, mostly just watching like football. I, I get it by like the second or third quarter it's not as good but you know it's still it's just good man have football in the air on the airwaves literally in the air like i love it bro people have spent the last three months like obsessing over random clips from training camp like can we stop with the or otas like can we stop sticking our nose up at like preseason football because i know it's a sure as a, sure as hell a lot better than these random practice clips and that still seems to entice everybody for months on end so just to be clear, though, and, you know, as we go through these 10 key workload questions in, in, in the name itself, you get it. They're workload questions like we are not going to be sitting here going, man, at this backup running back and just, you know, bust a big run, get the, you know, get the faith of the coaching staff. We'll see what happens. No, we don't care when Ramondre Stevenson runs for a 90 yard touchdown <laughs> against a bunch of future garbage men. We more so care for Ramondre Stevenson. A perfectly block play. <laughs> exactly. Like now. If we see the Patriots and Mac Jones is out there for 12 snaps and the only two running backs they use are Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Stevenson takes every single pass down snap. Yeah, that's important because I'm going to value these first team preseason snaps a million times more than the unofficial team depth charts that whatever intern they could find out there put together, as well as the training camp practice reports where, man, just depending on the day, like who knows who's getting first team reps. And I'm not saying that stuff isn't important, but Dwayne, out of with all the nonsense going on in training camp and kind of these summer months, the preseason actually gives us the chance to grade and rank everyone on the same scale for a change. And that's, I guess, the big point I try to keep making. We talked in the last podcast about the uh, three Chiefs pass blocking videos. You know, Clyde Ebersolaire, Ronald Jones, Isaiah Pacheco, they all do their job. You know, two of the videos had 10,000 views. One Isaiah Pacheco video gets about 120,000 views. So, this actually gives us a chance to look at the first team offenses around the league and try to figure out the remaining workload questions we have, because as we get closer and closer to week one, ADPs are going to become, you know, more, more and more stable as two people that are continuing to draft throughout that just being on top of this, you know, even in these small three, four day windows, it's going to help us figure out where the values are uh, in the later rounds in a hurry. Yeah. And what we've tried to do so far is avoid, like making these major swings, right? Just based on like little things we may be hearing out of camp. But yeah. if you've been hearing something out of camp and maybe you already heard it in mini camp too, and then now we see it in the first preseason game, probably going to move some of these players a little bit, right? Then if we get it confirmed, you know, uh, like in what the team calls is their dress rehearsal, it's really the most, and again, different teams do this on different weeks. Like it's the most important game, you know, for us. So we're going to wait that one the most. So you, we, we might see something in week one where, like, say, for example, we come out and, you know, the Chiefs run a series 
with the starters for some reason. Like, I don't know why they would ever put Pat Mahomes out there. Say they leave Pat Mahomes off and they have the rest of the starting offense besides Kelsey out there and it's Pacheco, right? And he starts the game. Like, it's going to be enough to make us notice, but you still also have to remember with this stuff, folks, we have no clue what the coaches are doing. They could very well be saying, this is the only time we're going to start, let Pacheco get run this preseason with, you know, the one. So it's all a bunch of pieces of information that we're trying to pull together. It won't always be the new perfect answer when we get the latest data point, but you know, we can correct the next week. So I try not to overreact, but when we start to get multiple thing, multiple things lining up, like that's when I really try to take notice and I'll be a little more aggressive on those type of players. Other situations too, where certain starters are out there, but like last year for the 49ers, I know he got hurt immediately, but Raheem Mostert wasn't playing the preseason. He was on the same rest schedule as George Kittle. That gave me confidence in that moment to still stick with Mostert over someone like Trey Sermon, who was getting the preseason first team reps, but Hey, when the guy's getting starter rest, you know, that's a little bit more important there. So, you know, as always, a little bit, a little bit more nuance goes into this than just you know one all be all kind of equation. But that's what we're here to talk about it for. So, Dwayne, my first key workload question for preseason week one is, you know, basically a ten part question. Naturally, who are the number two <laughs> running backs in murky backfield situations going to wind up being the ones I have a specific eye on? The Chargers, whether it's going to be completely Isaiah Spiller behind Austin Eckler, or if we see Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree maintaining an annoying amount of involvement. With the 49ers should be Elijah Mitchell starting, but Jeff Wilson has seemingly out of training camp into number two, or is it going to be a new rocked up Trey Sermon or just their third round pick from this year, Tyrion Davis Price with the Cardinals? Maybe it's just the full James Conner show, or maybe one of Eno Benjamin, Darrell Williams, or Keontae Ingram actually take over the Chase Edmonds pass down role with the Panthers. Hey, I see all you on Twitter always talking about Christian McCaffrey is just going to get hurt. So if that's the case, who's his backup and why are they both so cheap in fantasy drafts? If we get a little clarity on whether it's going to be Deontay Foreman or Chuba Hubbard could go a long way towards getting us a real nice late round handcuff value with the Falcons fully expecting. And I've read this from uh, multiple beat writers so far. Cordero Patterson should have that similar kind of most starter level treatment. What does he have to gain from going out there right now? With that said, 196 available carries and targets still left over from Mike Davis. Let's find out who has the lead to get those between Damian Williams, Tyler Algier, or Quadri Olsen. With the Buccaneers, a lot of, lot of hype, a lot of people expecting Rashad White to seamlessly be that backup running back. You know, if we see Keyshawn Vaughn, maybe even Giovanni Bernard working well ahead of Rashad White could be problematic with the Steelers. You know, legally speaking, Dwayne, if something happened to Najee Harris, sure looks like one of Benny Snell or Anthony McFarlane would suddenly be in line for a pretty decent workload, as ridiculous as that is to say out loud. With the Bengals, if we can get Samaje Piran or Chris Evans to definitively be the RB2, they would be a type of handcuff that we could see shoot up the ranks. And finally, with the Titans, Doncho Hilliard, probably the pass down back, but Hassan Haskins has a chance to, I think, be on far more people's radars if we actually see him taking the heavy majority of first team reps and Derrick Henry's absence. So, Dwayne, I, I wish we could have just definitive information on the number the, on the entire RB depth chart for every single team in the league. Obviously, so I really did try to only list the ones here that I think are important enough to mention and monitor throughout this. But are there one or two of these that really stick out to you that you just want you know a definitive answer sooner rather than later? Yeah, well, with some of them, I care less, honestly, about what happens in the preseason. Like like with the Chargers, it kind of affects where you want to take Spiller, but I'm never taking Kelly or Roundtree, right? Spiller will still right. always be the only back I'll take all the way till the end of the summer. So Correct. it's not going to change me. It's just going to change maybe. Honestly, I'll just let ADP determine, like, how cheap do I keep getting Spiller, right? Um, so 
with 49ers, probably similar. I'm really going to lean towards Tyrion Davis price because he gives them something different. I think Wilson's probably ends up being the passing down back, but yes, I would, I would want to watch it. Um, but as far as some of these others, like the Panthers, I, I do really want to know. I want to know, like, is it Foreman? Cause I don't, I have no clue. And I, I would take either. I would take Foreman or Ch- or Chuba Hubbard if I thought it was them. And yeah. so I, I don't have a clue. Um, some of these others that you talked about here, like with, with the Falcons, I think, you know, looking at Tyler Algier and Damian Williams, you know, if Damian Williams all of a sudden we thinks really has a chance, like he's completely free in draft. So it would make me actually, I'm not taking him now. It would then push me to start taking him. So that would be a good piece of information to have. Um, you know, with some of these other guys like Rashad White, I'm probably going to bucket it similar to Spiller, right? He's probably going to be the only guy I'm still going to draft on yeah. the Bucks. It's just a matter of maybe this situation, the way it plays out in preseason makes him cheaper for us. For the Steelers, I think the answer is probably just no. Like, who are they signing? <laughs> I don't know. It would still be good to your point to know, and maybe it's a committee between those two. But the other big one for me really was with the Bengals. Um, yeah. You know, and, I, and what I really want to know here is who's the passing down back. Like, I, I don't know that we'll know for sure who the backup is, but if we see P. Ryan out there, you know, with the first team offense getting all the passing down work and they don't give it to Chris Evans, that just means Chris Evans is being overdrafted right now. Yeah. Uh, and again, he's, you're still getting him late, you know, and you have to be in a deep draft before Chris Evans is even getting drafted. But that would be the other big one um, that I would look at. Because some of these, like I said, I'm still just going to draft the younger player no matter what. It's just a matter of, okay, where do I need to spend the pick? I was in the uh, Draft Sharks Invitational Best Ball Tournament oh, yeah, last night. How'd that night. go? Feel pretty good about it. First place. I, I had one. I was I was cooking. I was grilling out for my parents and Julia while oh, okay. I was doing this draft. So prop one to throw that. I multitask during mine as well. Exactly, man. So when, when there's no stream on there, it's tough for me to you know completely lock myself away uh, in the pantry. But I, I had one just brain fart where I should have stacked Goddard with hers. But I, I get people don't care. My, my my only point was later. This was like a 25 round draft. You know, super yeah. flex. So that's why. But. I think I got Chris Evans in round 18 or 19. And then like round 23, I was like, I'll just get the Bengals backup running backs. And I took Samaje Pirine there. Like one of those guys, if we get any sort of clarity and we don't know when it's going to happen. So that's why I kind of did it in the best ball format. But there's a lot of room to rise for either of those Bengals running backs. The uncertainty at hand is why both guys are basically final round draft picks in the first place. Question. Question number two. Go ahead. You're good. Is the Isaiah Pacheco hype for real? So I just cannot stop making Isaiah Pacheco memes. I'm I'm just going off on Twitter. I'm having a good You're a on good a time world. with it. So it's uh you know it, it's funny because on Twitter sometimes I I'll people will be like you know Ian you're you just you know joking around too much. I miss your like actual objective analysis uh, on here and it's good to break it up like i enjoyed like doing some of the joking stuff and like people are coming back they're like what is this (laughs) i think i may have lost followers (laughs) yeah man why is dwayne drafting funny stuff like because like we talk about this stuff every day and i actually do like to you know have a good laugh sometimes it's twitter so no, like, don't believe everything I freaking say on Twitter. We come to you guys on the podcast and in articles with the sort of analysis that should actually be helping you win your fantasy championship. So with that, with that said, I see why Isaiah Pacheco is in the news. I think it's a little ridiculous how much he is in the news, as I said earlier, with some of those pass protection video views. But again, I said this before from JJ Zacharyson, uh, his awesome prospect profile on him. If you look at just the size speed score, you know, the spark X score, like you see that Pacheco is just this crazy good athlete that maybe just doesn't have the nuances of the running back position down just yet at this point in time. That sure sounds like the sort of day three draft pick worth betting on. If he has that, you know, athletic profile that matches a big comp group 
But let's see if it's for real, man. I want to see if these training camp first team reps happening in the preseason or if it's going to be Claude Ebersolaire, Ronald Jones, and Jarek McKinnon. Now, I understand Pacheco and the things he can do as a returner very well could have the, you know, just early path to some sort of role, just getting a roster spot over Ronald Jones, who isn't exactly being paid enough money right now to be a guaranteed player on the roster. But Dwayne, I think there's going to be a two-pronged, three-pronged potentially impact from this because the hype is getting so insane. We saw Pacheco go in round 12 of a high stakes draft. People aren't ignoring Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I think everyone kind of admits that he is still a starter, even if we're a little bit underwhelmed by it. If we see them go out there, man, and Pacheco, let's face it, could still like just straight up not make the team this season. If Pacheco is out of the picture, all of a sudden Rojo or Jarek McKinnon, maybe and or Jarek McKinnon, they're going to be the values because Ronald Jones is now basically going after Isaiah Pacheco in most fantasy drafts I've seen. And again, as much as it's a nice profile, man, here are the list of rookies not drafted inside the top three rounds to finish as a top 24 PPR performer. 2012 Alfred Morris, 2013 Zach Stacy, 2016 Jordan Howard, 2018 Philip Lindsay, 2020 James Robinson. That's it. So this is not, oh, who's this year's James Robinson? Like James Robinson, I believe, is the only one to actually get top 12 on that. Alfred Morris might have as well. But these day three running backs balling out as rookies really do not fall off trees. We'll see if Pacheco can be that guy. If not, Dwayne, all of a sudden, Ronald Jones becomes a value because he's basically been left for dead at this point. Yeah, I was just looking over at Fantasy Mojo. <clears throat> Ronald Jones still going like over the last three days, right? So just like when the Pacheco hype has been in this boom, they basically go right next to each other. He goes, Ronald Jones goes around 12, pick six, and Pacheco's been going on average around 13, pick 12. Um, so, I mean, you're still getting uh, Ronald Jones. You know, he still goes a little bit ahead. But to your point, like if we get some clarity, I think the challenge is, is it just feels more muddled than ever now, right? It feels like yeah. this could easily be a three-way backfield. We don't know which three backs is going to be. We know that CEH is going to somehow be involved. It could be completely calorie like calorieless like touches though. I mean, like he could be or what we say low calorie touches, right? Because CEHs might be like between the twenties, dude. You know, and might not get passing downs or carries inside the five at this point. Like they could say, Ronald Jones, you get the carry inside the five. You know, we're going to give you know Pacheco every third you know series. It's like know, the uh, Dwayne. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the Antonio Gibson rule. <laughs> Yes, he's gonna, he's in the Antonio Gibson role. Yes, sorry, that's sad for Antonio Gibson. Actually, is is really good, you know, out of the backfield as a receiver. But yeah, so it, here's my thought on Pacheco. Like where he's going, like it doesn't bother me. Um, if you're drafting in a home league, like you're gonna get in with the last pick of your draft. So if you save the last pick of your draft, I think Pacheco's a name that's worth calling out. If you're in round 15, and that's where you'll get him. If you're in a high stakes league. You know, I think round 13, 14 is about where, like, when I look at the names that I'm looking at, like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take, I'll take Pacheco. And if I got to cut him, I will, you know, but at the end of the day, there's been enough positive around him. And here's the bigger thing, I think, um, and I don't know if this is true for everyone else, but you and I have talked about this before. CEH has been so underwhelming, you know, he's kind of the opposite of the way you explain Pacheco with what we've seen so far. Now, CEH is also, we've talked about this in the past. He's been playing hurt um, pretty much, you know, his whole career. So there's a chance that we haven't even seen the real CEH and that's the out, you know, CEH I think has, that's his biggest out. And wow. If, if that's true. And now because of all this other noise, you're getting a guy like CEH uh, right now, man, down to late round seven. In the FFPC, where running backs go high in drafts, you know, um, 
like that could be a real value. But at the end of the day, I think the reason people are down is because CEH hasn't done anything. And Ronald Jones has also been a dis- disappointment considering the fact that he was an early second round pick and the expectations that that, that creates for people. Um, but people know he's not a passing down back. But at the end of the day, when they hear Pacheco, they're like, oh, well, what if Pacheco can do both? It sounds like Pacheco plays and you know can play pass pro. Sounds like Pacheco's good in the passing game when you hear Andy Reid talk. Sounds like he can also run between the tackles. So then I think people start putting the story together and they're like, well, I don't think any of the other backs can do all three of those things on the team, you know, because McKinnon's just a receiving down back at this point in his career. So I, th- I think when people start, you know, ju- you can really easily jump instead of A to B to C, you immediately jump from A to Z. And then that's how Isaiah Pacheco goes from being, you know, an 18th round pick to now being, you know, a 12th to 13th round pick is because people make that immediate leap like A to Z based on some of those things. So I- I'm not against taking him, you know, where he's going at ADP. I- I'm not going to like, it's probably not done. Like if he gets more good news or we get a strong training camp or get a strong preseason game, I don't think the fuel's gone like from the rocket. Like I, if he gets inside, like, you know, if he starts going round nine or something, I'll be completely out And round 12, depending on my build, if I need the upside and I'm taking swings on backs and I want to take a swing, like I don't mind doing it with Pacheco. I'd rather get him in round 13 or 14. Um, but that's where I'm at right now. I think also what plays into it has been Andy Reid's willingness to turn the backfield over to some of these guys that yeah. he hasn't had this long-term investment in. I mean, remember LaShawn McCoy was bouncing around that Chiefs backfield and we're like, oh, it's, you know, Andy Reid's old guy. Like, is he going to just actually feature him here? Wasn't the case. I mean, even Jer- even Jarek McKinnon, who, Dwayne, I agree with you. I don't think he's much more than the pass-down guy. But you look at last season, I mean, he was out there for the Chiefs throughout the year, you know, having a small role here and there, but never played more than 31% of the snaps in a regular season game in the playoffs, bro. Like he had 15 plus touches every single game with snap rates North of 70% with Clyde Edwards Hilaire active. Now yeah. I, I know he wasn't healthy a hundred percent, but that's, it comes back to one of those things so, where it's like you're active enough to suit up. You know, can we hold that against you or not real quick? We'll hit these. I know we got to move to the next one, but I'm going to give you the names that, you know, Pacheco's going in front of, and you tell me if you'd rather have Pacheco or them Zamir white. <sighs> I would take Zamir White. Okay, but it was close. It took you a second, right? It wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't a there. slam dunk. Zamir White, uh, Raheem Mostert. I Your that. pause is enough. Honestly. I hate this uh, game, Dwayne. Marlon Mack, but that's what I'm saying. Where he's getting slotted in versus the other running backs, it's, it's not egregious. There. It's, it's not, not crazy. Not. Now, who he's still going behind? Jamal Williams. I think we both agree. I would take Jamal Williams over Pacheco. Correct. Um, Brian Robinson. That's probably a closer call, like between him Robinson, and Pacheco. Though. Yeah, and that's at, fine. At that you want to link to it? Take the day two guy at that point. Like that's what so. I don't so JD that. McKissick and full PPR depends on the build. I get yeah. that Pacheco probably has a better best case scenario. Like we we almost never right. draft guys like McKissick, which isn't a bad rule thumb. Yeah. So anyway, those are the guys he's around. So it, you know there weren't any where you're just immediately like, oh my god, that's a slam dunk. I'm taking the other guy. And, and yeah. so I think that's kind of the point where he's going. And I think he still has room to move higher. Like I could see him challenge his way all the way up to basically getting below like the really high end guy, high end contingent value players we're looking at like right now, like where you get Melvin Gordon, Isaiah Spiller, uh, Daryl Henderson, Alexander Madison. I know we've cooled on, but like once you get to Kenneth Gainwell, Michael Carter, and then you get to the names like Tyler Algier, like I could see him keep moving until he basically got to like Michael Carter. Like I think that could happen. And that would make him around 11 pick if that happens at, at, at the FFPC, not in every format. And that's going to happen through seeing him do it 
with the first team in preseason as opposed to just practice reports. We talk about practice here, Dwayne. All right, question number three here. Will <laughs> you the move real... your head. We'll see like the you know the king of talking about practice. You got Allen Iverson behind you. You got the jersey. Wow. That worked out pretty perfect here. Will the real Jets and Rams bell cow running back please stand up? Funny thing has been happening here in kind of the running back ADP around the industry. Dwayne and I just recorded a running back, running back, running back strategy article, and we talked about Devontae Williams and just the reality that kind of once you get through, I mean, there's only a handful of like true one RB workhorse backfield still out there in the NFL, and pretty much all those guys go in the first two rounds. There are two potential holdovers, Dwayne. Cam Akers in Los Angeles. We've seen Sean McVay, whether it was Todd Gurley, C.J. Anderson, uh, Malcolm Brown for a minute, Cam Akers himself, Daryl Henderson, Sonny Michelle. He's given all these guys two workhorse roles, and we've talked about him really being more willing to do that than anyone outside of Pittsburgh. Also got Brees Hall, a really talented running back that you've done a great job showing throughout the offseason, can be an explosive three-down pass catcher. Like That's the sort of player that we are absolutely looking to target. The question is, did they trade up for him because they want to feature him, or is he going to be the 1A to Michael Carter kind of being a 1B? Either way, though, Dwayne, Brees Hall right now over underdog fantasy, which not a home league ADP, so um, keep that in mind. Let me know if it's uh, incredibly different you know, in home league formats. But Brees Hall going as the RB18, pick 42. Cam Akers going as the RB19, pick 48. I mean, we're seeing these guys regularly in round four, and Akers even starting to slide to round five at times. These are the two running backs, Dwayne, that I think have a realistic path to still seizing that three-down roll this late in the draft. Whether it happens or not, we'll see. But I think that's the argument for kind of like you could call Cam Akers being drafted closer to his floor because, again, if we can get Cam Akers out there for 10 out of 12 first-team reps or Brees Hall, you know, he plays every single snap in two series with Zach Wilson, those type of reports for these running backs could really move them up in a hurry. Yeah, so with um, Acres, to your point, like he's really he's falling. Like even over the FFPC, where people love to draft running backs. So, like one thing I look for in like these charts is you'll see sometimes they're like, and each dot like represents a draft, and like they'll be really tight, and they'll be really you know like almost in a straight line across. You know, you you've kind of got your thresholds on each side. They're going between this pick and this pick over and over and over and over. And then last week, like his has just fallen apart. Like it's gotten wide. They're all spread out. Um, you know, his highs are lower, meaning people are not willing to, people used to be willing to sometimes even take him, uh, in the, in the third round, it was getting taken in the third round a lot, couple times taken in the second round. Now, ne- now almost never taken in the third round, almost always a fourth round pick. And he's going in the fifth round, sometimes falling to the sixth round in the <laughs> FFPC. And so it's the news. It's what happens is these news cycles, right? You all of a sudden hear Sean McVay come out and say, we have two backs. He doesn't really say what the split's going to be. He just says, we have two backs. We're going to use two backs. There was another reporter recently that said Cam Akers has clearly been the lead back. Yes. But to your point, we, we don't know. We don't know if it's it's the Javante Williams question. We don't know if it's 80-20, 50-50, exactly. or 60-40. What each coach means when they tell you about a role. Like you hear players all the time. Oh, this guy's going to be really be, really be involved. To some coaches, that means 10 snaps. You know, we're going to have him really involved for 10 snaps a game to other coaches. When they say that, that means they're going to be on the field 70% of the time, you know, and guess what? The same coach, we may, may not even be consistent in the way they give these comments, you know, and then you also have to remember folks like the reporters, they have a job to do. So they've got to get certain answers. And sometimes they're trying to get answers they want because no offense, they want to write the story that's going to work the best because then that gets the most clicks. I mean, so, and I'm not saying that all reporters do that by any means, but look, 
we see it a lot in our industry, you know, for sure, you know, headlines getting written just a certain way so that people will click on it. So it's, you got to keep all that stuff, you know, in mind, um, with cam acres, you know, I am a little worried about him. Like I haven't been drafting him that much, but if he gets into round five, I mean, I think it's fine. You know, it depends on what receivers there, what you're trying to do with your build. I haven't been taking him as much as round four. His out is the fact that he still plays on the Rams offense. So even if Daryl Henderson like took over all the passing down work, if Cam Akers handled all the work inside the five, like, he's probably still going to pay off ADP, even if he didn't catch the passes because he's going to score like 12 touchdowns in this offense. Remember, this offense didn't score that many rushing touchdowns last year. Um, they threw it a ton down inside the five, and that could easily regress back the other way. We get more touches, you know, for these other guys. As far as Brees Hall goes, he's held a lot steadier, you know, in ADP. And I think people are just, you know, more hanging on to the profile, right? They know it could be this every down back. But to your point, yeah, we got to see, like, what's the workload going to be like for Brees Hall? And if for some reason he does not have the passing down work, which is a possibility because Michael Carter was really good. Michael Carter was really good, period, last year, but he was really good, especially like even as a receiver. Yeah. Um, if for some reason Brees Hall doesn't have that role, it's really going to be bad because you don't want it. You don't want to be the first and second down back on a losing offense. Um, that's just a role, no matter how good you are. It's really tough to overcome. You need the receptions if you're going to play in an offense that can trail all the time. Michael Carter is like barely, he's in the same awesome comp group that Kenneth Gamewell truthers jerked themselves off to with the targets per round <laughs> run. And he's got the same thing that the Javante. So the way bigger sample size, by the way, than Kenneth Gamewell. It's, yeah. It's, I don't want to say way bigger, but it's definitely bigger than Kenneth Gainwell's sample size. And, you know, Carter, not this, not quite as big as Javante Williams' sample size, but not a minuscule sample size. And he's got no, the it was same, decent. decent. Yes, same sort of broken tackle metrics as Javante Williams. So, truly, Michael Carter, not just, you know, your everyday th- uh, day three running back, in my humble opinion. But it really is a drop-off after these two guys. Dwayne. I'm in this uh, shout-out. Dr. Evan Pores, he's been on this podcast. He has a bunch of us in this injury prone uh, fantasy draft and it was a super flex that we were talking about rich rebar but basically Brees hall went at the end of round five a couple picks later cam Akers went in the middle of sixth round 15 straight wide receivers went off the board after that and then like antonio gibson finally went so like once you see david montgomery as that top rb on the board like people are terrified to hit draft man and i get it i don't love it either as we were talking about though joining not to go too far off topic but in our football guys draft like we really need to be careful here because Antonio Gibson, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, I get it. When you look at their rankings next to the other running backs, there's a pretty big tier gap. If that tier gap keeps widening though, man, and all of a sudden these running backs that no, we're not going to hit draft in round five. I don't like Dave Montgomery in round five, Dwayne. If he falls around seven or eight though, at some point it's like, I'm not going to take this wide receiver four over the guy. Yeah, I mean, when when you look at David Montgomery, um, he's that's definitely been happening to him over the last few days. Like I've seen multiple draft boards get posted where like this guy is like falling into round seven, um, and I've even had even had some conversations with some really big high stakes players where they took him and they're like, look, I I can't pass on you know Montgomery in round seven. You know, I would argue that you know it might be more like round six. So. Um, but at the end of the day, like my advice has been just avoid the dead zone pretty much to folks. Um, don't draft a running back until you get to round seven again. Like what's unique is that now what's happening is folks are drafting instead. They're drafting Tony Pollard and AJ Dillon ahead of all these guys. They're taking them in like round five and round six. 
and then they're pushing these guys down into like round six and seven. Now, right now, David Montgomery's still around five, pick two over the last 31 drafts over the last three days in redraft uh, in the Football Guys Players Championship over at uh, FFPC. So typically I'm going to still be on receivers, you know, where Montgomery's going. But if if he falls to me like in round, you know, late round six, early round seven, I'm for sure at that point going to pull the trigger. Um, the problem with all those guys in those rounds, you know, for a, a period of about three rounds, right? It's period, it's a round... Once you get past Hall and you get past uh, ETN, like once you're in rounds four, five, and six, like honestly, I don't really care what order they go in. I just don't want much to do with any of them. Like once you get to round seven, like it becomes fair game again. And I think that's where it'll be interesting. Is like if you're sitting there and I've seen really good drafters sitting there around eight and they're like, okay, fine, I'll take Antonio Gibson now. Now, I mean, at this point, like, yeah, he's in a three way backfield, but he's still a good, uh, you know, he's still a good talent profile right and you're getting him in around eight or nine in some of these drafts now and that's the way i would handle it too you know um at that point i'm like great you guys took james cook you took all these other guys from me i know i don't like antonio gibson in round five but if i get him in round eight i mean it's a much better price few you know many injuries that could be swinging a lot of this too melvin gordon had the foot issue apparently in practice i believe i saw boston scott has actually been concussed small things and I, i'm not going to try to overhype it because it's so it bugs me, Dwayne, just seeing like, oh my gosh, this the ba- the Buccaneers backup center. He goes down. Oh my god, he got carted off. Uh, how can the Buccaneers keep dealing with this? Oh, it was just cramps. He's fine. Like it's it's just one of these things where it's the it's the you kind of have to ignore it, <laughs> right? It's the minute by minute just news cycle world that we live in. So a lot of good stuff comes out of it, but just for now. I'm really not going to pay too much mind to some of these minor nicks and bruises and training camp. If they're on the pup list, that's completely different. Uh, just try to maintain that. All right. Question number four, what should we expect from the Jaguars new look backfield? I want to have a different conversation here with this Twain Cause you know, Travis Etienne, someone we both been high on all off season. I think we drafted him on all three of our football guys championship teams so far. And he did make your, you know, just prime round two, round three target that we talked about in our running back, running back, running back start articles. What about James Robinson? Someone that we shot away from all early offseason for good reason. This dude was going as like a top 36 RB at the start of the offseason. But let's face it, fantastic news all the way around. I mean, science. Hell yeah. Like, this is awesome that James Robinson is going to be back from this Achilles injury. As much as we love Travis Etienne, Dwayne and I both admit James Robinson's awesome in his own right when he's been out there. Where do you kind of fall on James Robinson? Because right now, over at Underdog, he's going RB 48, I believe. He's still RB 47. He's still going in front of guys like Michael Carter and Jamal Williams. So I think straight up, I would pick them ahead of him. But for the first time last night, I was starting to look at James Robinson. I didn't hate the idea of drafting him. Have you started to kind of come around to James Robinson at this cost Uh I've moved him inside my top 150 uh, update, which I wrote today that will be out tomorrow. So I've basically been updating that every few weeks. We'll update it more often moving forward. But yeah, I've got him now. James Robinson, you know, he's in my top 50 backs now. So, um, you know, he's inside the top 150. So, yeah, I think he's fine um, to take later, um, to your point. Like, all the news has been positive. And, and look, we know that, you know, James, they've got the early round capital in ETN, but ETN could get hurt, right? And we also, we also expect James Robinson to, to handle, like, maybe half the carries. And it's early down work, which we don't really want, right, on a team that's losing. But at the end of the day, like, we've seen him be in every down back in the past. And so if he is healthy, 
and anything happens with ETN or ETN for whatever reason, knock on wood, doesn't perform well, right? There's certain people out there that think ETN's just not a good player. I think his ankle's going to snap in half, you know, when he's walking. Um, so, I mean, there, there are potential paths, right, for James Robinson's value, you know, to really go up. And we've seen it at least before from Robinson. So that's the thing I like the most about him. Not a guy that I'm really trying to target. I still don't think I've drafted him yet, but I think eventually I'll have a share or two. That's basically how I've come around on the guy. I'm not just completely looking past his name anymore. Still not, you know, sprinting to the laptop to hit draft. Question number five, who will be the Steelers week one quarterback and will they be capable of leading a competent offense? I I actually care more about the Carolina Panthers quarterback battle. I'm not sure why Ian from six hours ago settled on this one to submit to editors, but that's life in the big city. Sometimes still a good one, man. We got three potential receivers that people like. I I think this is a good one. I think it'll probably be Mitch Trubisky. That's been every single sign. But the fact that Mason Rudolph has now made this into more of a battle than folks expected, obviously not ideal. I don't think this competent, I don't even think it's going to be a competent passing game, Dwayne. For the last year, it's just been, oh, did you watch Big Ben? Like, how could they possibly be any worse than what we saw out there? I mean, I think we're going to see a pretty good shot at trying to show us something worse between Rudolph Trubisky and, you know, rookie year, Kenny Pickett. I mean, on Twitter, I equated it to that meme where you have like the two badass dragons. Then you have the one silly dragon. This is just three silly dragons out there, man. So <laughs> I, it's, and it's unfortunate for Deontay, for Claypool, for Pickens at this point, And we're continuing to see Deontay fall and fall and fall. Najee has too much freaking volume to bust. I know it's tough to move him lower than like RB6, RB7. But Dwayne, just the the lack of any sort of good news we've had from this kind of quarterback room, has it made you just that more hesitant to kind of click on Deontay, Claypool, Pickens, and Fryermuth? Well, I think think Claypool and Pickens are easier because they're cheaper. It's going to – it's certainly making it tougher with Deontay Johnson. But the thing with Deontay is – and we've talked about this before. It seems like every third or fourth draft I'm in, like he falls to the middle of the fifth round or something. And it's like, okay, get my Deontay Johnson share, like right here in the fifth round. Don't have to spend my, I don't find myself clicking on Deontay Johnson in the middle of the fourth round. I find myself clicking on him when he falls all the way back to me in the middle of the fifth round. And I'm pretty happy with that approach. Uh, I haven't, again, I haven't worried about it too much with Claypool because you can get him in round 10, round 11. Haven't worried about it at all with Pickens. He used to be, you know, round 17, 18, even on underdog, you know, where people just breathe and, you know, they live just for wide receivers. And somehow the guy was going around 18. Like I got a ton of exposure to him and Wondell Robinson early. So I feel good about it, but I'm still fine spending a, a, around 13, 14 pick on a guy, you know, like Pickens um, because the capital is so low, a little tougher with Deontay. And like, that's when you want to draft a player that you're not really in on. When I did that, uh, I mentioned it before, but underdog best ball draft with Justin Herzig. I mean, here are like some of our running back picks guys that I'm not, I haven't really drafted much, but I'm going to draft them here. We got Brees Hall pick 53. His ADP is 41. We got uh, Rashad Penny. I pick 116. His ADP is 92. Damian Pierce pick 140 ADP 120. Like when you can start seeing guys literally sliding one to two rounds past their ADP, don't be afraid to click on that. You're, you're just setting yourself up uh, to have a lot more opportunities to get that best case value. Question number six, can Isaiah McKenzie fully beat out Jamison Crowder for the starting slot job? And this is fully because last year we did see a stretch at the end of the season where neither Beasley nor Isaiah McKenzie played more than even 51% of the offensive snaps because they were rotating. And if we see Crowder and McKenzie just kind of coming in and out every other snap, it's going to be tr- tough to fully trust one of them week in and week out. The upside, though, man, it's here. Here are the only wide receivers over the past, 
let's see, only wide receivers over the past three years to have at least 100 targets in every season. Keenan Allen, Cooper Cup, Travis Kelsey, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, DJ Moore, Devontae Adams, Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, and Cole Beasley. Got some funny memes on this one. You know, the all the army guys and the clowns sticking out there. You know, just a picture of like four hot girls and some like just girl that should not be in the same picture with those uh, dime pieces, basically. I get it. Cole Beasley shouldn't belong in this group in terms of talent or anything like that, but he is. And that is what's on the table for Isaiah McKenzie in this offense. So Dwayne, as much as this could be the year of Gabriel Davis, I mean, I think it's the same sort of argument we have for like someone like James Cook and even Dawson Knox, as long as he's going to be affordable. We know Josh Allen is going to put up bonkers numbers. We know Stephon Dix is going to get his. There's a lot of available opportunity for someone to step up and be that number two option inside this Buffalo Bills passing game. Yeah, McKenzie, McKenzie's been moving up, you know, because folks are assuming now that he's, you know, probably going to be the the lead slot receiver. To your point, and if so, like he's still value. I mean, you're like he's gotten up to round thirteen, like is the highest. But he really goes between just even in the last couple of days, he's going between round thirteen and round seventeen still mostly between round 13 and round 16 is like his range. And so, yeah, I, I like getting McKenzie there. You're not having to spend a lot. Um, we've only seen a small sample from McKenzie, but in the small sample, like the underlying things that we like, like the yards per route run, the targets per route run, those things have been there. Um, you know, they've been, they've been solid. So, and he's a player that can do things after you get the ball to him. You know, he's one of these guys that can give you more yak and, and that's where he's better. He's not the route runner Beasley was, but he can give you more after the catch, right, than what a Cole Beasley can do. So, yeah, I think McKenzie is a guy that it's just super easy right now to target him, you know, especially in these leagues where you got to draft 20 rounds. If you're in a home league, he's more of a last-round pick type player um, if you know that you need a receiver. Question number seven, what skill position players are going to start in Dallas aside from Ezekiel Elliott, CeeDee Lamb, and Dalton Schultz? We've got our five offensive linemen. we got Dak Prescott, Zeke, CeeDee, Schultz. We still need to figure out who the other two guys are going to be. I do give third-round rookie wide receiver Jalen Tolbert the benefit of the doubt that he'll be out there in three wide receiver sets. This is where it gets interesting, Dwayne. I know Zeke is going to play ahead of Tony Pollard. I know we have this conversation a lot. I know if Will Fuller gets signed there, Cole Beasley, any of these free agent wide receivers, it could be a moot point in a hurry. Will the Cowboys really sit Tony Pollard on the bench for Noah Brown and freaking Jake Ferguson? Like, that's my question because Twitter's a dumpster fire enough trying to like wrap its collective mind around Zeke playing ahead of Tony Pollard. Are we going to be sitting here after week one and Tony Pollard has three targets and Jake Ferguson and Noah Brown each have like five? Like, at some point, man, Kellen Moore's a smart guy. We've seen them do this stuff in the past. I tweeted out a video today. Good minute plus highlight of Tony Pollard only in the slot out wide. The pop passes just being an extra issue in the in the flats, being someone that you can use in orbit motion and all that. But I, I don't want it to be a waste of time, Dwayne, because I feel like you're about to hit me with that. It's not going to happen. Man, what if, though, if we do, like, wh- where would you feel like, where, where would you now, would you now feel comfortable taking Tony Pollard in round six, potentially, if we see him out there with like 75% snaps with the first team offense alongside Zeke, then would you believe it? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, look, all, all I need, I, I've already said it, like, uh, the number one way Tony Pollard f- pays off is just to win the two minute offense. And the Cowboys are talking about him getting that role. So, I don't, I don't need anything else. I don't, I don't think the slot stuff, the thing with the slot role and especially with those kind of passes is the same reason that you didn't see Rondo Moore on the field all the time last year. Like it's just, it's hard to use a role like that 
and use it over and over and over and over again. Defenses just warm up to it. Um, and then once they do warm up to it and you can't use it, you're better off having someone that can potentially block, someone that can run a better route tree. There's just so many other factors to it, right, than just who's getting target, targeted. Most likely none of those people are going to see huge targets, right? It's going to be a funnel to freaking CD land. Dalton yeah, Schultz is going to get a small bump. And then I think Pollard gets more involved out of the backfield. I mean, fine. He runs some routes, uh, some, some routes from the slot. That's all plus. It's all it's all like cherry on top kind of stuff, right? I just I'm not counting on it to make a, a big difference for Pollard. Um, but honestly, I've heard enough so far to feel pretty good about slamming the the, the draft button on Pollard in round seven at this point. Um, but even if I was told he's gonna play slot, I wouldn't believe it enough to say, Oh, now he's a round six pick, like if if that makes sense. He caught 39 passes last year in 15 games. Like again, just a small uptick. Get the full two full time two minute roll. Dwayne's point. Maybe just maybe a few extra snaps and the slaughter out wide. We could be talking about 50 plus receptions this year for Tony Pollard. And again, ceiling remains the moon. God forbid something should happen to Ezekiel Elliott. Question number eight. What rookie wide receivers will actually be starting from day one? If you take a look at the unofficial depth charts, just team by team, man, like you just don't always know exactly what you're getting out of it. The Washington Commanders listed Jahan Dawson as a starter. The Saints had Chris Olave on their third team, even though from every single thing we've heard from practice, he has been working with the first team. Traylon Burks, not working, not listed with the first team on the depth chart, and people are seemingly taking that more at face value than the Olave situation. Here's how I see it. Looking at just the notable, basically, rounds one through four rookie wide receivers, Drake London, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jahan Dotson, Traylon Burks, George Pickens, and Jalen Tolbert should be starting inside of three wide receiver sets from day one. Injuries will likely keep Jameson Williams, Christian Watson, definitely John Mechie out of the picture for the time being. Could also see Wandale Robinson, Alec Pierce, Sky Moore, and Velas Jones in that three wide receiver sets early. I'm less confident, but you're saying there's a chance for guys like David Bell, Danny Gray, Tyquan Thornton, and maybe even training camp superstar Romeo Dobbs. But Dwayne, like these are the situations we want to figure out in a hurry because as much as we love to, you know, mock the, oh my God, they said Justin Jefferson was on the third team. Let's remember Justin Jefferson wasn't running a full allotment of routes per game until week three when he went the hell off against the, against the Titans. So yeah, I think these guys will get there eventually, but specifically for, you know, week one purposes, we want to see these rookie wide receivers. I, again, I don't care what the depth chart says. Show me out there out there with the first team offense in a hurry so we can fully get behind them early on in the season. Yeah, and I think you walked through it, you know, perfectly. Like the ones that we think are going to be out there, you know, when you look at it, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Jahan Dotson, uh, Alave, Burks, uh, Pickens, everything we're hearing, Tolbert. Like those are the locks. Um, you know, Christian Watson is a guy that, you know, he's apparently close to being ready to practice now that could actually still make noise. Like we'll have yeah. to wait and see just because the, de again, the, the pecking order is so wide open. Jamison, obviously you got the injury. I think Alec Pierce will probably be out there, uh, you know, in three wide sets. I think Paris Campbell is going to be the two. Wondell Robinson sounds like he will be out there when they're in 11 personnel, uh, sky Moore. We're hearing Michael Hardman's working ahead of him. I don't care. I'm still, I'm still counting on sky Moore being the, the the third most routes, right, at least, of the receivers on that team could potentially challenge for number two. Um, and then Velas, we'll see, you know, as long as they don't sign anyone else, like because they have talked about Will Fuller, but Fuller's saying he's going to wait and see what happens with Watson. That would really hurt Velas Jones, like if Fuller signed, because that's probably the same role, right, that they would have those two players in. Um, the other guy that in interests me the most that I think could end up a starter, the other two are, are obviously Romeo Dalbs and David Bell. 
Question number nine. Will the wide receiver pecking order be clarified in Green Bay, Kansas City, New England, Tampa Bay, and with the New York football giants? It's just one of these things where in the Patriots, in the New York Giants case, like you even look at the number one wide receiver, Tony, with the Fantasy Pros consensus ADP, is a wide receiver 48. Kenny Galladay is a wide receiver 60. Wandale Robinson is a wide receiver 82. Not saying Daniel Jones is going to just, you know, be setting passing records this year or anything, but we can have one guy from a bad offense, you know, be this top 36, if not a higher ranked receiver. I think a lot of people are expecting that out of Tony, but again, these guys are just so cheap. You can buy them much closer to their floor than ceiling. Similar sentiment with the Patriots, and I think more reason for optimism just based on what we saw from Mac Jones last season. Jacoby Myers, their highest drafted wide receiver at wide receiver 54. Devontae Parker, wide receiver 56. Hey, though, if we see solidified three wide receiver sets with those two and Kendrick Bourne, now Kendrick Bourne becomes the value at wide receiver 83. So good questions there. On the other side of things, in Green Bay, Kansas City, and Tampa Bay, we obviously have a good enough quarterback so that, hey, we could see this offense have three, probably not four, but we could see three fancy relevant wide receivers out there in Green Bay. Yeah, Alan Lazard, we're not going to go into it, Dwayne. Just, I'm not even going to let you say his name in this one. We've already done enough damage there. But behind him, Christian Watson, wide receiver 59. Romeo Dobbs, wide receiver 71. Watkins, 73. Cobb, wide receiver 77. Like, they're just getting jumbled next to each other because people don't, don't know what to do with the situations. If we get some clarity here, we're going to see whoever the guys are that are out there in three wide receiver sets booming up there in a hurry. Same thing with the Chiefs. We have the one guy, the Alan Lazar of the Chiefs, Juju Smith-Schuster, getting the benefit of the doubt. Behind him, I mean, we have Sky Moore, MVS, and Miko Hardman all within six wide receiver spots of one another. Buccaneers, Russell Gage, who got a little banged up at practice today, wide receiver 46. Julio's wide receiver 61. If we can get definitive usage with these teams, Dwayne, it's going to be good news. Or on the other side of things, maybe we do see the four or five wide receiver rotation that kind of scares us off these groups a little bit. Yeah. So when you look at the Bucks and the Packs and the Packers and the Chiefs, right? The Packs. Wow. The Packers, <laughs> the Bucks, and the Chiefs. Um, for those, like, even regardless of what happens in preseason, I agree. Like, some, well, we could have somebody move up, right? When we see more. But at the end of the day, like, we're just going to keep taking these guys no matter what. We're, we're pretty much of the idea that Julio is not a starting receiver for the Buccaneers, right? But he still has outs because if Russell Gage doesn't perform up to you know what we think, if Gage, I know, was dinged up today in practice, I haven't had a chance to follow up and see what that Evan, was. Dude, all three, Goblin's coming back, Gage is dinged up, Evans had the mini ham, hamstring thing. Is Julio just yeah, so, and when you play with Tom Brady, there's just a lot of outs. So Julio's a guy in a deep league. I'm just not going to mind having on my bench anyway. And no. maybe you only get to spot start him four times in the year when one of these guys is hurt. Well, guess what? It could be really good. But he could also potentially challenge to create more of a rotation being on the field. He could even potentially take over for a guy like Russell Gage. Like if he's just if, if Julio's just completely hamming out and he's healthy. Like as much as we love Russell Gage, like it's in the range of outcomes, right? That he could just bump him off the field. So yep. the players from those, uh, especially especially the Buccaneers and the Chiefs, um, like no matter what preseason tells me, like Sky Moore is going to be a player I'm going to believe in because I look at the rest of the depth chart and I'm like, man, Sky probably still eventually win wins out, right? By the time we're at like week eight or something. Um, looking at the Packers, it is a little bit different. We get the quarterback. But it's so wide open. Like whoever can get a leg up early, um, and it doesn't mean they'll keep it. But like that, that one for me, I'm like, well, it's more likely maybe they could just keep it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there's not a lot of competition behind them. Um, you know, somebody can really step up and, and take the lead. 
most likely it's just going to be spread out across, you know, a lot of these guys to your point. But not like I, the biggest thing I take away, like when I look at these rooms is don't be afraid, you know, to draft, you know, some of the uncertainty, you know, if people are, cause sometimes what drafters will do is if they don't know, they won't draft any of them. You know, don't, don't let that happen. That's to you. baked like in. If, That's why they're this cheap. Right. Yeah. So it's okay. Even if you get the wrong one, you can cut them you're buying into them for the same reasons, right? You're buying into them because of Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, um, and Tom Brady, right? And just because, and I like guys like Julio because we know that just playing with a better quarterback doesn't always mean, usually it doesn't mean all of a sudden you're a good receiver and you get more targets. It means your quality of target could go up. Your your points that you score in fantasy per target you get could go up, but can you really earn more targets? But that's why I like guys like Julio where we know we've seen him you know, demand it in the past. I don't necessarily need to know that he's a starter where he's going with ADP. You know, you're getting enough value on him no matter what. Final question. Say this one just for you, Dwayne. Will there be a tight end by committee system in Denver or Chicago? I, I brought this point up before, but we really, I think we're maybe overestimating how much we know about these offenses that come from the head coaches that really just call their own, call their own game plan, call their own offenses. So Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, ton of success in recent years. And accordingly, we've seen their, you know, top offensive coordinators go get jobs elsewhere. How much say, how much do they agree with what Shanahan, LaFleur, McVay were doing? How much of that is going to be their new offenses? So really, you could apply this to all four rooms like Kevin O'Connell going to Minnesota. Yes, we are happy and confident that Irv Smith should have that every down Tyler Higby role. Mike McDaniel in Miami. We have a lot more questions about, you know, how Mike Desicki is going to be used there, but discussed it. Hey, if he's going to be a full-time inline tight end, okay. If he's a, we just need him to be full-time anything. That's more my concern with Luke Getzey and Nathaniel Hackett coming from the uh, Matt LaFleur Green Bay pipeline. You look at Green Bay. Robert Tunyon in 2020, man, 12 touchdowns, like six incomplete targets. This is like the most efficient tight end season in NFL history. And what happened the next season? He couldn't, he played 63% of the offensive snaps in the first seven weeks. I even took out week eight where he actually got hurt halfway through. So yeah, 62% of the offensive snaps for a guy that just scored 12 freaking touchdowns. Now that was in green Bay. We don't know how much Nathaniel Hackett in Denver or Luke Getze in Chicago are going to be taking that, but it could swing either way, Dwayne. Like this is my concern that we're going to see a committee with Albert O and Greg Dolchich. And I'm not saying to draft Greg Dolchich, but just like you even said with some of those running backs, it's not, it's not that Larry Roundtree or Joshua Kelly are going to become guys we draft, but they can make us feel a little less good about Isaiah Spiller. I'm worried about that happening to Albert O with Greg Dulcich and maybe even Eric freaking Salbert. Or in Chicago, guys like James O'Shaughnessy, guys like Ryan Griffin. No, I don't think they're going to have more targets than Cole Komet, but a 60% snap rate versus a 90% snap rate could be the difference between 60 and 90 targets. That's what I'm out here to see. If we see Albert O, Dwayne, running a route on 10 of 11 of Russell Wilson's dropbacks. I'm going to be jumping up in the front seat of the bandwagon there with you at the same time. If it's five and five, it's going to be concerning. I'm going to be less willing to use a late round dart on the guy. Yeah. For me with Albert O it's simple. Like I just look at the talent profile. I mean, and how late you're getting him. Like I know he has potentially, it could be too small of a sample size and it could be wrong, but potentially he has the talent level that we want from the very elite tight ends in the league. So that makes it super simple. And I'm just, I'm not necessarily worried just about week one. I'm going to take Albert O as my tight end too. If I'm taking a tight end too, 
if I don't have a really good tight end one, he's definitely going to be one of my two tight ends that I'm still trying to get on my roster. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the idea with Dulcich is I don't think what I see in the preseason is going to change my, my mind much. My expectation is that Dulcich is out there some, you know, based on everything that we've heard, you know, so far from reporters, like, honestly, I would be surprised if Dulcich isn't out there some, um, but at the end of the day, just like we can sit here and talk about seventh round, you know, running backs that have never really done anything <laughs> like that list for third round tight ends is probably even worse, right? We don't really see them, you know, get to do much. Um, so there's a lot of questions still for Dulcich. I think where Dulcich potentially picks up more routes now, and it, and it may not even impact Albert O as much is we've got, you know, the Tim Patrick injury. And so now like there's just more opportunity for him to maybe play in the slot, do some of the other things. If KJ Hamler isn't out there all the time. So yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think it's something totally, you know, to monitor. And I agree that, like, I like the teams you picked because of the coaching changes that we have. We have seen these coaches be willing to do that, you know, in the past. Um, and again, like, coaching changes, like, you have to be careful with them. Like, I used to, I've always studied them and I love them and I use them in my analysis, but I think I used to overweight them. Right. And what I started to learn as I did this longer and longer you know, is a lot of times really just talent drives it all. <laughs> you know, there are certain cases like the New England backfield where it's like, you know, okay, it is what it is. Like, and right. it's probably going to be that way for the Raiders. But for a lot of these others, what we end up finding out is, well, it was just kind of noise. And, you know, so with, with Alberto having the talent profile that we've seen, again, it could be wrong. But based on what we know today about Alberto's profile, I'm just going to lean more into that, you know, winning out and hope that his ADP goes down. Alberto? Tight end 14 ADP right now. He's been more close, I think, to 16, 17 here, even uh, in recent weeks slash recent months. That's fine. The later rounds, we are seeing, though, Cole Komet, now the tight end 11 and ADP. Like, that's the one, Dwayne, that I, I see people, like, you know, doing the, like, how like how how could anyone on planet Earth not draft this guy based on these three factors? And they'll read my thread about it. But that's I, I don't see anyone, like, concerned at all that the new Well, those Bears people spent, could... like, 4,332 hours researching those <laughs> things, and you haven't done that. So um, 97% of their life has been consumed by researching Cole Komet. So... Honestly, you just don't know as much about Cole Komet as those guys. But um, yeah, I, 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 again, I'm with you on the teams you picked because I thought that looking at them, they're probably the two I would have picked as well. Um, you know, I, I don't have like all of them in front of me, but I know that these are coordinators that in the past, like it's at least a question. And with Albert O, the other thing is like if they go into these heavy personnel sets, like that is where Mercedes Lewis was bumping Tanyan off the field, right? Yeah. So in passing downs, Tanyan was still out there a lot. Um, but when they're out there and all of a sudden they check from a run to a pass, well, guess what? If that happens and you're not on the field, you miss out on that opportunity. So there are definitely, um, opportunities, you know, that could be missed. And I think the, the potential challenge for Alberto, to your point, like, is what if he gets sandwiched between two of those things? What if, what if Saubert's out there to do the run blocking and then they want to give Dulcich just enough snaps and all of a sudden we get Alberto at, you know, 55% of the routes. Like it, yeah. it could happen. Like we've seen it with players like Fant in the past. So to say that it won't happen, like, you know, would be silly on my part. Can't wait to find out and actually get to start breaking down again, actual live football being played. Been a long off season, been a fun off season, but again, it's all about love of the game at the end of the day. You can check out my article on the top 10 questions I am looking at ahead of preseason week one. Also had a bunch of other just kind of more singular subject focused stuff go out this week. I looked at, you know, my best pick for the third year breakout wide receiver, the best late round RBs per round undervalued bell cow RB candidates, running backs who will thrive in full PPR formats. Even my favorite 
late round quarterback. Spoiler, it's Justin freaking field. So check all those out on pff.com. Again, you can use code fantasy for 25% off any PFF subscription. Go get those and go get all Dwayne's great strategy articles, running back, running back, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. He helps show you that you can start a draft any way you want. Basically, there's still going to be value to be had to fill out the rest of the positions. You just got to know what you're doing it and you know how to do it correctly. So Dwayne, what else do you have up on pff.com or maybe I described it all, man. I thought that was a nice little deal there. <laughs> that was very good. Thank you. Uh, you hit most of it. Uh, the updated top 150 um, is going to be out there as well. That'll hit tomorrow. And then obviously next week, you already mentioned it. We'll be back breaking down the preseason games. Uh, you and I will be at the fantasy football expo. So uh, looking forward to getting to hang out with you there, hang out with Brian Drake, hang out with, you know, just, any of the people that listen to the pod or, you know, consume the content, uh, you know, hang out with us on Twitter. Uh, don't like mine and Ian's jokes on Twitter. Maybe you'll like them more in person, you know, so come say hi. We will be back here with new episode next Tuesday. So going to be missing out on Monday like this. Dwayne and I were talking about it. We're just both like flying all day. Like generally pained me the fact that uh, not going to be able to be here for you guys with a Monday podcast, but you know what? I like to think that we've uh, made up for that throughout the rest of the year. So sorry guys. Like this is the one day uh, where I do feel bad about not having it out there. Believe me, we will make up for it. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF fantasy football podcast. And until next time, take care. Everybody.